Word with me, please, and turn once again to the New Testament book of Hebrews. And last Wednesday evening, we looked at the latter part of Hebrews chapter 11 and talked about living through faith and how these all had obtained a good report through faith. And I feel it would be appropriate, considering the time in which we are living and considering the amount of fear that is surrounding God's people today, that we would study, do a study on this great chapter of faith. And you really can't begin chapter 11 without looking at the verses leading up to chapter 11, the last couple of verses of Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, I love Hebrews, and in particular these verses. And you find, as Tommy read there in verse 36, For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. And we are living in a very impatient world. I was thinking a lot about this today, speaking with one of the brethren, about how days are very different. It used to be that God's people had a very intimate walk with God themselves, and they could rely upon God. But today, God's people seem to be so weak in their own walk that they rely upon others. And because of modern technology that allows us to be on the other end of a telephone call in half of a second, then people would rather call man than they would call out to God. And the scriptures tell us here, we have need of patience. Patience in our prayer and patience in our walk with God. That after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Well, we want the promise now, don't we? We want the promise of peace and the promise of joy and the promise of hope and the promise of everlasting life and the promise of no pain and the promise of healing. We want all of that right now. But the author of Hebrews says you have need of patience. Wait. But there's something else you need besides patience in the Christian life. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. We must be patient because the Lord Jesus is coming. Now the just shall live by faith. You see, we need patience in this walk, but we also need faith. Because if you haven't any faith, you won't have any patience. If you haven't faith that the Lord Jesus is going to come, then you won't have any patience to wait on his return. If you haven't any faith that he promised, that all that he's promised to give us, we will one day receive. If you haven't any faith in that promise, then you will not be patient enough to wait for it. Now the just shall live by faith. It's interesting, that little expression. I want to talk tonight about living by faith. Living by faith. Now, the author of Hebrews is quoting an Old Testament prophet, Habakkuk. And Habakkuk gives the exact same phrase, the just shall live by faith. And that phrase is repeated three times in the New Testament. Twice by the Apostle Paul and once here 
by the author of Hebrews. Paul repeats it in Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. And again, when he writes his letter to the Galatians, the just shall live by faith. And then the author of Hebrews here. Now, faith is a very interesting word. Faith is something that we speak so much of, and yet, let's be honest, express so very little of. It's easy to talk about faith. It's another thing to live by faith. Everything that is to be said about faith uh, oftentimes is said as if faith is the object. I said this last week. We must be very careful that we don't make faith the object. But if we're going to talk about faith, it must be directly connected to the object of faith, which is Jesus Christ. Just look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. You see, we've been, uh, Hebrews 11 is that chapter of faith right after that. Verse tw chapter 12, verse 1, wherefore seeing that we are comp also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here it is, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's that patience, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. There you go. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. This is how we live by faith, by looking unto Jesus. You've heard me say it many times. Keep your eyes on Christ. Robert Murray McShane, you've heard me quote it a hundred times. For every look at self, take ten looks to Christ. This is what it means to live by faith. We must never think that faith itself is the object and that having faith is the object. No, no, no. Faith in Christ. Christ is the object. It's faith in the Lord Jesus that God desires of us. Oftentimes we pray, and when we pray, we're just going through the motions, aren't we? I've been guilty of that myself. But if our prayers are not expressed in faith to God, then they will be of no avail. The author of Hebrews writes that he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if you're going to come to God in prayer, you have to believe that God is who he says he is and also believe that he answers prayer. This is what faith is. We must live by faith. I was reading a little bit this afternoon and Bishop O'Brien said this about faith. He gave a little definition. They who know what is meant by faith in a promise know what is meant by faith in the gospel. They who know what is meant by faith in a remedy know what is meant by faith in the blood of the Redeemer. They who know what is meant by faith in a physician, faith in an advocate, faith in a friend, know too what is meant by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a very helpful definition. That's what it means by having faith in Christ. You know what it is to have faith in a friend. You trust them. You believe them that they're going to be there for you. 
You know what it is to have faith in a remedy, a bit of paracetamol. When you've got a headache, you take a couple of pills and you just believe that in a few moments' time, that headache will settle. You believe. And so also, we have faith in our Savior, faith in His promises, faith in His Word. When you get a chance, I want you to read through the entirety of Hebrews chapter 10 and allow the Lord to speak to you about these things and especially about your standing before God, your position before Christ. Are you truly a child of God? Are you truly a Christian? Now, many people claim to be, but they've never been born again. We've been looking at parables, haven't we, from time to time throughout this lockdown. And often in the parables, we find two types of people, the wheat and the tares. And I wonder tonight, are you truly his? If you continue looking at our text in verse number 38 of chapter 10, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. There might be some who are running well. And there might be some who have run well, but now they have drawn back. Has anybody come to your mind? Those who at one time looked like they were heading forward, moving forward, advancing. But today, they're nowhere to be found. They have drawn back. And the author of Hebrews says, those who draw back, God has no pleasure in their, in their soul. The, the soul of God has no pleasure in them. But if you are the just who live by faith, then you are not of them who draw back unto perdition. Now, you might draw back a little bit. You might have a stumble and a fall and have a setback. But you'll never be those who are drawn back to perdition, meaning ultimately lost. In fact, if you've never been truly born again, it's only a matter of time before you do draw back. If you've only been walking that line and only going through the motions and it's only been a facade, it's only a matter of time before you draw back unto perdition. Or you, maybe you've made an identification with Christ, but it was never real. But true Christians are not of them that draw back. It's interesting, isn't it? It's sad, but the Christian faith is taken so lightly today. And it has so little significance to people. What does it mean to you to be a Christian tonight? Every day we live. I know, I believe, and I'm sure you believe, we're living in perilous times now more than ever. But, are you living by faith? A recent survey said that 70% of parents in the Western world reported that if they had it to do over again, they'd never have children. Now, some of that might be due to the misbehavior of the children. Some of it, though, is due to the condition of the world in which they're being brought up. What is it that people need today? Look around you. What is it that people need in your neighborhood in this time of crisis? What do people need? 
Well, I believe one of the things they need is for those who identify themselves as Christians to truly live the Christian life and to give a clear identity as a Christian, to live by faith. Can I tell you, you cannot live the Christian life except you live by faith. Living by faith is what makes the Christian life real. The only real Christian life is the life of faith. Being a Christian is more than just identifying with Christian principles or ideas. Tommy and I were talking here recently about when Pastor Sexton came and preached an anniversary service and he, he spoke from the book of Luke and he gave some real clear, simple gospel truths. But he mentioned in that same sermon Simply identifying intellectually with gospel truths does not make you a child of God. I wonder if you're living by faith. Does Christ live in you? I was listening to a sermon this week whilst I was working on rebuilding my wall and my garden. And uh, the preacher said, uh, why don't you go back to your, talking to some pastors, why don't you go back to your churches? And ask each one of your members, how many of them know that Christ is living in them? He said, I'm sure that many of you would be surprised. Is Christ living in you? Do you know that the Lord Jesus has forgiven your sins? And by faith, have you asked the Lord to be your Savior? Are you clinging tightly to him? There is no way to identify with God. To know God, to know who he is, the invisible creator God of the universe who we cannot see and we cannot touch. There's no way to be identified with him without faith. Or you might be able to be identified with a friend or a family member or a pastor because you can see them, you can hear, you can see me now, you can hear me, but you can't see God. No man has seen God and lived. You can't touch him. And so it requires faith to believe in him. No way around it. The only real life for a Christian to live is this faith life. The faith life is our Christian life. And if you don't have a faith life, you don't have a Christian life at all. Faith is the only way to know God. Verse number 38, the just shall live by faith. Faith is not just academic. It's not just intellectual. It's not just agreeing in your mind about something, but we must also act in faith on what we believe. Look at James chapter 2 with me, please. Because if you do, if you do not be, or you do not believe if you don't act. James chapter 2 is a passage that has given many people trouble throughout the history of Christianity. James chapter 2, verse number 17. Uh, the, James writes, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And how many people do we know who say, yes, I have faith in God. I believe in God. But yet they live as if they, God's not even real. There's nothing in their life that shows they're living depending upon God. They're depending upon their own efforts and their own work and their own thinking. James goes on. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith. And I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. 
Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Woo, that's pretty good. Oh yes, I believe that there is God. I even believe in the one true God. Good. Don't you know that Satan himself believes in the one true God? Believe me, he believes. And don't you know that all the devils who belong in hell believe in God? Believing in God, simply acknowledging and believing in his existence is not living by faith. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. You say you're a Christian tonight? Good. No matter what I see, the overwhelming majority of your Christian life, no matter what I see or what anybody else sees, the overwhelming majority of your Christian life and my Christian life is unseen. We've got it all backwards today. We think our Christian life ought to be put on display. And therefore we measure the spirituality of a person by how much activity they're involved in. Well, where does that put us all today when we can't get up to much activity? We measure our spiritual progress by how much we're involved in. Door-to-door visitation, open-air preaching, Sunday school ministry, piano playing, uh, Bible lesson teaching. And all that we do, sermon podcasts and all these, all these wonderful things are good. But can I tell you, the overwhelming majority of your Christian life is unseen. It's your secret life. Prayer. The communing with God. I was speaking to one of my deacons here recently. And since this lockdown, he has begun to read through his Bible. Old Testament finished. The gospel records nearly finished in the New Testament. And I'm telling you what, he's putting a lot of us to shame. Your Christian life, most of it, most of it cannot be seen by man. Now, let me ask you a question. How much of your Christian life is unseen? How much prayer? How much Bible study, Bible reading? It's the idea of a glacier, isn't it? Oh, you see the tip of a glacier there in the ocean, but the base, the bottom of it is so much bigger. And that's the way our Christian life ought to be. That which is above the surface, which everybody sees, ought to be so small in comparison to the base, to that which is unseen. If the majority of your Christian life isn't in the secret place, let me, in on, let, me let you in on a little secret. If the majority of your Christian life is not in the secret place, you are just pretending. Habakkuk chapter 2 is where we find this reference, the first reference to the just shall live by faith. And the prophet writes, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up 
is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. It's a terrible tragedy when God's children, Habakkuk was dealing with, couldn't understand why all the problems, couldn't understand why all the trouble. When nothing is going your way, when life seems to take unexpected twists and turns, you can still be victorious by having a life of faith in God. Your circumstances may change, but they never change who God is. So instead of putting your faith in your circumstances, put your faith in God. There is, listen carefully, a real Christian life. And I'm sorry for those of you who are watching. I'm sorry that you've seen so many bad examples of the Christian life that you begin to wonder if it's real after all. There is a real Christian life. But we have learned every imaginable excuse to substitute our Christian life of faith for something that is just not real, not genuine. Something that's just put on like we put on our clothes. Something that's just demonstrated. Oh, we may look the part. Maybe you look the part tonight. But are you? Romans chapter 1 and verse number 17 is the first time in the New Testament that we find this expression. The just shall live by faith. Romans, Paul is writing and quotes Habakkuk in chapter 1 and verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is the verse, this is the life text of that great reformer, Martin Luther. Oh, there are many people who've hated and cursed this man's name. But Martin Luther was one of the most successful Roman Catholic monks you can imagine. The most educated and intellectual that there was. But the day that Martin Luther found the meaning of this text was the day that history was made with a vengeance. And we find that this text was on three different occasions worked on Martin Luther's heart. It was first in the convent library at Erfurt where Martin Luther found uh, these words, the just shall live by faith. He was 24 years old. And then again at the, at the library of Rudolstadt, where these words again, the just shall live by faith. And let me give you the words of Martin Luther's youngest son when he testifies about the conversion of his father. In the year of 1544, my late dearest father, in the presence of us all, narrated the whole story of his journey to Rome. That was the third place that this text lighted upon Martin Luther's soul. He acknowledged with great joy that in that city, through the spirit of Jesus Christ, he had come to the knowledge of the truth of the everlasting gospel. It happened in this way. As he repeated his prayers on the Lateran staircase, the words of the prophet Habakkuk came suddenly to his mind. The just shall live by faith. Thereupon he ceased his prayers. 
Many of you know that those stairs are supposedly the stairs that came from Jerusalem, brought all the way to Rome, and Roman Catholics throughout the pages of history have traveled all the way to Rome and climbed those stairs on their knees, saying a prayer with every step, with every time their knee made it to the next step. And there was Luther in, 15, in the 1500s doing the same thing. But as he was climbing those steps, and you notice all around him the selling of indulgences, the, the, the selling of candles, and the selling of prayers, and the, and the selling of viewing of relics, and all of these things, and the corrupt priests all around him in the city of Rome. As he began to climb the stairs and listen to the hustle and bustle around him, these words, the just shall live by faith brought to his mind. Thereupon he ceased his prayers, returned to Wittenberg and took this as the chief foundation of all of his doctrine. The just shall live by faith. Beautiful words that were brought and used to the conversion of Luther's own soul. There in the first chapter of Romans, the just shall live by faith. We're given another very interesting expression. Listen to this. Bishop Lightfoot said this. The whole law was given to Moses in 613 precepts. 613 laws given to Moses. David in the 15th Psalm brings them all within the compass of 11. Isaiah reduces them to six. Micah to three. What doth the Lord require of thee? You know that verse? Isaiah to two, but Habakkuk condenses all the law of God into one. The just shall live by faith. I wonder, are you living by faith? Are you living your life by faith? Galatians chapter 3 is the second time in the New Testament that we find uh, this command. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 11 but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Is there any victory in this life of trouble? Yes, only through faith in God. We must live this way. By the way, it's a choice that must be made. Every day we must choose to live the life of faith. It's not going to happen on accident. And as you see in the weeks to come as we study Hebrews chapter 11, you will see this. If you're going to live the Christian life, you are required to have faith. Hebrews chapter 11, look at it with me please. Verse number one, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Interesting, because at the end of the, end of the chapter, you find it by faith, they all obtained a good report. And verse 3, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, think about that, by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The earth, think about that for a moment, the earth is not eternal. Now some people imagine the earth to be a lot older than it is. We're now up to something like uh, five plus billion years and the number gets higher and higher and higher, it seems, as time goes on. But some people imagine the earth is eternal, but it's not. It was made by God, by God that is a maker. And the Bible says that the world was framed. I've done a bit of building in my day, 
and I've done a bit of framing. I worked with a framer for about a year in, in America. And most of the houses in America are built not with blocks and bricks, but with wood timber. And uh, you'd frame the walls, you'd, you'd build a frame on the floor, and when the frame is built, you'd raise the frame up, and you do that with each wall until you have a house, and, you have a, and the walls then are raised up in each room. But just the same way that a wall is framed or a house is framed, the world was framed. Think about that. God framed the world. He spoke it into existence. He made it from nothing. And that is faith. It takes faith to believe that. But it also takes, I believe, more faith to believe that billions of years ago a big explosion happened and kazoom, here we are. By faith we believe it. It's interesting, in, in Romans chapter 10 we're told it's by the very word of God. Let me read it for you. In, in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17 and 18, some beautiful words, encouraging words. Let me give them to you. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily. Their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing the word of God. You say, I, I know I should live by faith, but I don't have much faith. Would you like to have more faith? Then you're going to have to pick up this book and read it. Read it. You want your faith to increase? Then open God's word. The Bible stories that we find, in, especially in Hebrews chapter 11, in this text, will increase your faith. They're not fairy tales. They're not fables. But historical facts and stories, events that took place in history. And as you read these stories, your faith is increased as you think of what God has done and you see what God has done. In fact, that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell you. If God did all of this, then surely he could do the same in your life today. Surely he's just as real today as he's ever been before. You can't have a strong faith. Listen, listen very carefully to this. You cannot have a strong faith without the word of God. It is impossible. I don't care how spiritual you claim to be, and I don't care how in tune with God you claim to be, if you have not got the word, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word. You're going to have a crisis. If you're not careful, you're going to have a crisis that only faith in God will get you through. We need faith. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 20 is a, is, a, is a staple text for God's people. The scriptures tell us in, in chapter 32 is a, it's really a song uh, written there. But let me, let me give you a couple of verse, verses. Verse number 9, that for the Lord's portion is his people. Think about that beautiful verse. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. The next verse, he found him in a desert land, in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him. And there was no strange God with him. 
This is a passage that talks about what God has done to bring us to himself and what we mean to God. There's nothing sadder than when God's children don't have any faith in him. Now, let me tell you something encouraging in closing. In Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. You know that already, don't you? You can't please God if you don't have faith. But look at the next phrase. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The faith life is a rewarding life. But the problem is most of us don't live by faith. And so we have so very little reward. Now don't misunderstand me, if you would please. Reward is not the goal. You see, when we think about faith, we usually think about a faith that's needed to take on bigger things, right? Uh, how we can do more and accomplish more and launch out into the deep and, and accomplish whatever's on the pastor's heart, maybe you'd say. And we think that that's faith. This is how it should be looked at. Listen carefully. This is how it should be looked at. The Lord Jesus is the object of our faith. And we love him. And we serve him. And we want to obey him. And we want to know him more. And as we trust him, and as we know and believe him, he leads us along and he rewards us with opportunities to invest in his wonderful work. That's what it should look like. It's not getting rewards that is the end of our faith. No, you've got it all wrong if that's what you think it is. You've missed it. If anything, he rewards us, if anything that he rewards us with becomes more meaningful than the rewarder himself, then our motive is wrong. Did you get that? If anything that he rewards us with becomes more meaningful than the rewarder himself, then we've got it all wrong. And your motive is wrong. We do things because we love him. If the things become more important than the one that we love, then it's all messed up. I don't want to serve God to get something out of it. I don't want to serve God so I can get a filled chapel. Otherwise, I'd be very depressed right now. I don't want to serve God so I can tally on my wall how many professions of faith I had this year and how many people I dunked in the water this year. I don't want to serve God because I get a bigger and bigger platform and more and more viewers. It's interesting when this uh, pandemic first happened, the viewing of the online services skyrocketed. We thought, wow, this is amazing. The first couple of weeks, 1,200, 1,500. We thought, boy, we better buy some bigger cameras and really get into business because we're getting, thousands of people will be watching. And last Sunday, the Lord has a good sense of humor, something like 300 views. You see, if our goal and motive and all that we do is that which is seen, is the reward that we get from doing it, then we've got it all wrong. We've got it all wrong. What do we get for believing? John chapter 11, we're told. John chapter 11 is a, a lovely chapter. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. But when we come to verse number 40, uh, this is when the Lord raises Lazarus. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, 
thou shouldest see the glory of God. Do you know what the reward is of faith? Seeing the glory of God. Seeing God move in miraculous ways. Seeing God answer prayer. Seeing God move in, in ways you could never imagine. Almost in ways that you, would, you wouldn't and wouldn't dare write in a book because you'd be afraid. Seeing the glory of God. The faith life is the rewarded life. But the reward should always point us to the rewarder. That's what Hebrews 11 verse 6 says. Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Did you get that? He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Not those that diligently seek the reward. You see, we got it all wrong today because we're diligently seeking more converts and diligently seeking fuller chapels and diligently seeking more opportunities when we should be diligently seeking God. That is the faith life. Living by faith isn't living so that we can get things, but living so that we can know God. Do you know him tonight? May God help us and help me to truly live by faith. The just shall live by faith. We're going to begin, God willing, next, next week looking one by one at the characters listed for us in Hebrews chapter 11. And hopefully these will encourage us, challenge us, increase our faith. And maybe one day we might find our names in a list as well of men and women who live by faith. Let's bow our heads in prayer.